Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello, my name is Manesh Patel. I'm the, uh, at the American Heart Association Scientific Sessions 2022, and thanks for joining us for this Duke Heart on the Go, MedEdit on the Go session on resistant hypertension, things we're learning. I'm joined by a friend and colleague who's done a lot of this type of patient care and research with me in the past, Shriek Vimalpali. Shriek, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Manesh. Well, so I think a lot of people know blood pressure is important, and obviously it's a significant and potentially the most modifiable cardiovascular risk factor we have for our patients that we can improve their outcomes. But what a lot of people have started to spend our time on over the last several years is to understand what we'll call um, hard-to-treat or resistant hypertension. And maybe the first thing for us to do is to define what resistant hypertension is. Great, thanks. So resistant hypertension is uh, uncontrolled blood pressure after three medications of different classes, including a diuretic at maximally tolerated doses. So that's really important. Usually that's a calcium channel blocker, an ARB or an ACE, and then an appropriate diuretic, usually thiazide type. So not controlled with three meds, Mm -hmm. at at least having a diuretic in that regimen. Yep. And then I think, you know, at least the estimates we hear is that something like 11 to 13 million people probably have resistant hypertension. Obviously, having resistant hypertension leads to adverse outcomes. So we're really excited at the American Heart Association Scientific Sessions to have a lot of science around blood pressure. Um, And for the first time in a while, we're starting to see some drug therapy. There's been a lot of conversation about devices, which we'll come back to, but the first time in a while that we're going to see some drug therapy possibly. Maybe you can describe for us uh, one of the studies. I I think it's called Precision. That's a late-breaking clinical trial that was presented. What uh, what was the agent? And sort of tell us about that study. Yeah, so the agent is called aprocetentin, and it's a dual endothelium antagonist. Um, And so for cardiologists, you may be uh, familiar with endothelium antagonism in terms of pH, but here it's being used for uh, antihypertensive effect. Um, and so this was a, a placebo um, double-blind study of aprocetentin, and um, the primary endpoint was change in ambulatory systolic uh, blood pressure at trough um, at about four weeks. And so the finding, the main finding was there was a reduction of 3.8 millimeters of uh, mercury against placebo. And actually when we stopped the medicine, the blood pressure even went up uh, an additional 5.8 points after that. Yeah, so really important design in a resistant hypertension population. Again, a blinded study. I think there are two doses, like a 12 and a half or 25, but interestingly, they watched them while they took the medicine. And then when they came off and had this sort of washout period, they saw what happened with the blood pressure. And doing that, reasonably important in our patients who are in resistant hypertension. You know, people often say, oh, what does four millimeters mean? Or what does six millimeters mean? But a a 3.8 or to four millimeter drop, and then an increase backup, you know, so it makes me think at least a significant reduction. And obviously, we've seen in the past, and we've seen data that three, four, five, six millimeters from medications can make a difference. So that's really powerful. So maybe with that in context, we go to the, the next study, at least talk about that. And then we'll come back to sort of putting the findings in context. There was another study called Bright HTN. Again, pretty impressive that we're getting randomized studies in resistant hypertension patients with new agents. Tell us a little bit first about um, the agent. I think it was a phase two study. Tell us a little bit about the agent. Yeah, so it's called Baxterstat, and this is a aldosterone synthase inhibitor. Um, And as you mentioned, this was actually a phase two study um, and uh, really powerful results. Um, Looked like an 11 millimeter mercury drop in ambulatory systolic blood pressure with this. Yeah, so um, importantly, I think they had, again, a few doses, uh, half a milligram, milligram, or two milligram, and they had a randomized placebo control study. And I think importantly in this phase two study, the data monitoring committee 
because of the level of blood pressure reduction in resistant hypertension, recommended, recommended to stop the study. So, of course, that's an important feature in that it tells us a little bit about what we're going to learn about long-term opportunities with that therapy but others. And, and again, I think even at some of those doses, getting something like 11 millimeters or 8 millimeters. And I think, that again, that was an, um, an, a blood pressure in the office, a systolic blood pressure reduction, so meaningful differences. We often think about resistant hypertension with devices, so maybe we should just spend a moment on the spiral on medication uh, presentation that Dr. Canzari did uh, for the spiral program. Um, you know, I'll just start by saying that, that that's a, it's, it's been, you know, something that we should certainly um, welcome and see that these investigators and the whole field has been lifted up by doing the spiral program and the resistant hypertension, um, at least device therapies with, uh, with now a few different devices. And what, what Dr. Canzari showed us was that there's the full discussion of the patients. They had a 80 patient roll in yep. and then full extension of patients getting either sham or actual renal denervation with the spiral catheter. Uh, tell us a little bit about the patients that got in, Leah. Yeah, I think this is important. The first two studies we mentioned were very well controlled in terms of being resistant hypertension patients. They were on specified drug regimens, including diuretics. They weeded out pseudo-resistant patients, and then we talked about the results already. Here in Spiral, we had patients that were on anywhere from one to three medications with blood pressures then in the 150 to 160 range thereafter. So it's not as clear of a resistant hypertension uh, population. Yeah, so uh, more of a, a a blood pressure population yes. patients with one, two, or three, about a third in each group. Mm-hmm. So again, important because I think coming out of HTN3, there was a lot of interest in proving that you could reduce and have an effect with the renal denervation, which we know we can because they did the off-med studies, and then on-med, on some level of med to show can you add incremental reduction. And in fact, in the 80 patients, they had shown some data showing yes. incremental reduction, but when they go to the, the full data set at six months, what they presented, looked like there was, you know, no significant reduction in, in 24-hour ambulatory blood pressure. Office blood pressure about four to five millimeters, which was statistically significant. And I think Dr. Kanzari nicely showed us that there was some change after the extension and not showing much of a difference in the extension, partly, potentially, as we were doing the study through COVID and other yeah. things to, to get people to get an uh, ambulatory blood pressure is complicated. Nevertheless, another piece of data that adds to our armamentarium, and we'll be seeing these things potentially come to the clinic. Absolutely. I mean, I think what uh, that providers are going to face, basically, is when you get to that fourth-line therapy, so you've done your three medications, different classes, your maximum doses of a diuretic, now what do you do? The guidelines right now would say spironolactone, but we know spironolactone has off-target effects. There are side effects. So we're going to have some other agents here, I think, uh, between aprocetentin, um, and Baxterstat, and then w- now we have to throw the cath lab into the into the mix. So how do we decide between these things? Yeah, I think it's going to be, a, 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 importantly, hopefully some patient-shared decision-making and also understanding what people can tolerate. I, I just, you know, end by saying that I think some of the important things, or maybe not end, but say that the way I think about the, the decision-making is going to be a little bit about what they're on now and what the additive opportunity is, and then also about adherence, ability to take a set of medicines, yes. a procedure versus repeatedly adding a fourth medicine. And we haven't even talked about costs yet, and we don't know what the costs will be. So those are, of course, going to be important um, things to think about. And, and, you know, in the full presentations and as people will go to it, as we follow these patients longer, there wasn't a tremendous number of side effects. I think in the aprostat, uh, there was a little bit of lower extremity edema that might have caused people to... Re- That's right. So, so we know in that class of medications, uh, fluid retention is an issue. And so how we'll use that in our heart failure patients will be remain to be seen. 
for sure. Well, I'll just end by saying thanks for joining um, at the American Heart Association and at all of your practices. We've thought a lot about how do we manage blood pressure. Uh, in fact, the Life's Essential Eight sort of recommendations uh, has told us about those essential eight sort of behaviors and activities and certainly behaviors of lifestyle of activity, uh, not smoking, uh, trying to maintain a healthy diet, uh, trying to make sure you have a healthy weight. Um, those are important things. And then the eighth one was sleep, making yeah. sure people sleep. We know uh, obstructive sleep apnea and abnormal sleep affects your blood pressure. And then if you can manage the blood pressure, you can really change people's outcomes. So thank you for joining us for this episode of MedEd on the Go as we talked about resistant hypertension and some of the new data coming out at the American Heart Association Scientific Sessions 2022. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com CME. Thank you for listening.